This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, I don't know exactly where the other side is these days. So I have to admit, I don't even know where the other side is. I don't know what side anybody's on anymore. I'm sure you all feel the same way. It's confusing out there. But that makes my job way more interesting and way more challenging, but way more fun. And uh, I did take a red eye home from San Francisco last night, and I must admit it was far less awful than I had imagined it would be because first and foremost, I had the, what do they call that, uh, the exit row, you know, where they ask you, are you competent enough and will you follow instructions and open up this exit door? Should we crash the plane? And, you know, what what do they think I'm going to say? Why, no, I'll fall apart. Yeah, I'll be opening up that door. You betcha. (laughs) So I got that row and I was in the one spot where there's only two seats and then there's sort of like a fold down seat that the a flight attendant gets to sit in for takeoff and landing in the middle of the plane, right? So I was there in the window seat. I like the window, especially if I'm going to try to get a few, you know, Zs in. And nobody came, even though it was a full flight, nobody came and sat next to me. It was absolutely perfect. I could not have orchestrated it better. Had the extra leg room, had nobody next to me, had my pillow. I don't always remember my pillow, but I had my pillow. Uh, took two Tylenol PMs because I was, you know, I, I just my back hurts and planes and all that stuff. And I literally slept for the four hours. And that's about what I average anyway. Now, obviously, sitting up and sleeping is not quite the same, but I'm feeling good. I have a cold. I have my inevitable home from California cold, although I apparently also bring it home from New York and bring it home from anywhere that I travel on airplanes. But uh, all in all, I came home, got home about uh, 5.36, took a nap for a couple of hours and said, I've got to see who's on Jeffrey Epstein's list. Not. I didn't. You know, I, I was curious when I saw the story yesterday. I spoke about it briefly. You know, why is this news and how many websites and how many streaming services seem to be leading with the story that they were going to unseal the documents and we were all going to find out. And uh, meanwhile, I'm thinking, uh, don't we all know that already? I mean, we've already seen pictures of uh, Prince Andrew with some young girl and uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. We've already seen uh, pictures of Jeffrey Epstein walking with everybody from that self-same Prince Andrew to the president, uh, Bill Clinton, to, I don't know, basketball and baseball stars. There's really not like a whole lot of people whose names didn't come up. 
during the Maxwell trial. So I, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll take a cursory look at it. It's a court filing and it's a ton of pages. I know Derek's really glad that he's on a skiing vacation because he would have had to read all of these pages. Um, I chose not to. As a matter of fact, I looked at some synopsis of the, the report, the unsealed documents, and uh, there's nothing in here that I didn't at least suspect or even know. And I think the person who's going to take the biggest hit in all of this is uh, Prince Andrew. Apparently, Prince Andrew's a real lowlife. Uh, Bill Clinton doesn't look that good either, but mm, I don't know. I don't seem to see anything significant there. Who cares what Leonardo DiCaprio was doing on the plane? Now Donald Trump poses an interesting question. Of course, he's always on the plane with his then-girlfriend Melania. So I don't know how relevant that's going to be. We do have a couple of people who I just really was trying to... Michael Jackson, what was he doing on that plane? So that is my coverage of the uh, Jeffrey Epstein saga. If that was the news that you were turning the radio on to hear, um, try another show. Uh, it's all I'm going to give you. You know, the fact that both Bill Clinton and Donald Trump appear in these documents multiple times, as does Hunter, is no surprise to anybody. So the lieutenant governor of Georgia is apparently now about to be investigated in the 2020 election case, if that's what you want to call it, the Trump election case. But the question is, who is, who is doing this? And nobody's answering that question. Would criminal charges be coming for all the Trump supporters in Georgia? Like uh, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who was a Trump supporter and you know definitely involved in all of this. He was also one of the 16 Republicans who acted as fake electors for Mr. Trump in Georgia. Three of them have been charged with felonies, including violating the state's racketeering law. But in 2022, a judge blocked the DA, Fannie Willis, from developing a case against Mr. Jones, saying there was a conflict of interest because she had actually headlined a fundraiser for his opponent, his Democratic rival in the lieutenant governor's race. You know, it really is amazing to me how most of my predictions about how terrible setting these kinds of precedents that they've been setting with Donald Trump are going to be for a lot of uh, other politicians and in particular with a lot of Democrat politicians. I, I did a whole uh, thought of the day on Fannie Will Willis, the uh, DA, who's really going to have her hands full because one of the witnesses that she would be calling in the case against Donald Trump is actually what is considered a Brady witness. And I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be one on TV, but I gave birth to one and I, I hang out with a lot of them. And a Brady witness, I found out, is somebody who the prosecution puts on the stand but in the final analysis, their testimony actually ends up helping the defense, probably hurting the defense too. But the attorney, Kenneth uh, Chesbro, 
he is just that kind of a witness. He is, he's got pluses for Fannie Willis, the DA, and negatives. And you don't like that when you're an, a prosecutor. You want to go into court and you want to know what everybody's answer is going to be. There's no time to be uh, hoping that they say the right thing. You got to be counting on them saying the right thing. This is a huge profile case, one that is under the microscope, one that is, you know, is, is going to end up probably, most likely, before the Supreme Court at some point. We've already got the case before the Supreme Court regarding his being removed from primary ballots. So if I were Fannie Willis, I'd be kind of nervous right now. You know, the DA in Augusta, Georgia, was the first person who said, uh, you know, I'd like to uh, literally prosecute this case for Jones. But uh, that did not come to pass. He didn't get to investigate Mr. Jones. And in fact, um, this is a real problem for Fulton County and for Georgia, the state itself. But this is what happens when you begin to weaponize justice. And anybody who still wants to argue that that's not what's happened is crazy as a bedbug. My grandson asked me, what does that expression actually mean? And why do we think that bedbugs are crazy? And I had no good answer. I didn't even Google it because it was a kind of poignant coming from an 11-year-old. He said, you know, you grandparents, all my grandparents use that expression, crazy as a bed bug, and I'm just trying to figure out, like, why is a bed bug considered crazy, and how do you know? Like, what's the measuring stick? Which was interesting. So I didn't even go on. But everything about this case, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand that there's a lot of problems with this case. Uh, alternate electors, believe it or not, are not uncommon in our presidential campaigns. Uh, John F. Kennedy, he submitted an alternate slate of electors in Hawaii back in 1960 to contest Richard Nixon winning that state. So anybody who thought that Chesbro was going to be the next John Dean or the smoking gun witness, forget it. No prosecutor is gonna call this guy to the stand. He is, uh, he's a, not an asset. He's a liability and a risk. The difference is, in this case, Democrats want to make Trump pay for winning in 2016 and to prevent him from winning in 2024. And that desire, you know, anytime you have a desire to carry out a political vendetta is why you see these Democrat prosecutors federally and in state jurisdictions criminalizing the practice of politics and actually criminalizing legal challenges to election outcomes. This will come back, it already has come back, to bite them right in the proverbial tuchus. But apparently, they're still going to game. They're still going for it. So we'll see. You know, now you got the prosecutors who are trying to get an 11-year prison term for you know, a, a Trump supporter, this guy, Robert Rivermider, Rivernider, who was guilty of forging his dead father's name on a 2020 vote-by-mail-in ballot. He was convicted of three felonies, forgery, 
fraud in connection with casting a vote, and uttering a forged public record. So on January 9th, there's going to be a sentencing hearing, and the prosecutor has submitted a recommendation to the court arguing that the lowest permissible sentence that he could be given would be more than 127 months in state prison, so we are recommending an 11-year prison sentence, 132 months. Meanwhile, every other week, I pick up something in the paper telling me that they have prosecuted uh, you know, forgeries and vote, voter irregularities in the state of Georgia and the state of Pennsylvania. I, I mean, I've been reading about these things for decades. And I have never heard of anyone getting an 11-year sentence for it. Most of the time, they don't even go to jail. And if they do, it's usually pretty minimalistic. But then again, you know, uh, we're talking about Donald Trump supporters. And all bets are off. And think about this for just one moment. Because I think this is where my perspective and my spin on stories is valuable. If you thought for one minute that by doing these things, by prosecuting people who basically went to Washington to do something that they were, uh, it's enshrined in the Constitution that you can redress your grievances with the government. It's enshrined in the Constitution that Congress is the people's house and the people are to be given access to Congress, I mean, within uh, boundaries, I can let them run amok, but we watched videotape that showed authorities ushering around these protesters on January 6th. So mm, that kind of throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. But then what's even more bizarre to me is that you're taking people who have significant political profiles. I mean, they're not politicians. This guy, uh, Rivernider, was the field organizer for the GOP in Florida. He's been an officer for uh, Villagers for Trump. We know the Villagers is a community that's very conservative. He has plenty, there's plenty of pictures of him with, uh, you know, all the MAGA crowd from Matt Gates to Marjorie Taylor Greene to the Donald. And, and all I can say is, okay, you give this guy 11 years, you prosecute him in this manner, in an untoward manner, in a manner that nobody on the left has ever been prosecuted for doing exactly the same thing, and you think that's going to dissuade people from supporting Donald Trump? Well, hello, it's not working. Might want to pivot, might want to change your plan. It's having the exact opposite effect. So can we just admit you were wrong? Probably not. They don't go down easy. Don't forget, you can download the 850 WFDL app. It's very convenient for me. I was getting all the breaking news stories. You could participate in our contest. And that way, um, you can you have the access to the show and to all our shows right there in your pocket, in your phone. Um, it's 850WFTL.com is our website. And the app is the 850WFTL app. Go get it. It's worth it. Let me take a quick break and I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So it's uh, really heating up right now in the Red Sea. Now, this is a story that's getting like a little bit of attention, not sufficient in my opinion, because I think people are confused at what it all really means. Because I think in 2024, which is the year we are in now, we really don't think about pirates in quite the same way. To us, Pirates of the Caribbean can't even be a ride in Disney World anymore because it's politically incorrect or something. I don't know. They, they made it look lame because you would want to... I don't know why. I really don't. I don't know why half the woke stuff that gets passed along even makes the, the light of day. It's so stupid. But I don't think we understand what piracy is because piracy is an ancient war. This was probably the original battleship uh, or battle on the seas, on the high seas. So yesterday, an unarmed, unmanned, or, or rather, let me say that the right way, an armed, unmanned surface vessel that was launched from a Houthi-controlled Yemen uh, you know, spot got within a couple of miles of a couple of Navy, U.S. Navy, mind you, and commercial vessels in the Red Sea before it blew up. Just hours after a whole bunch of these partner nations, including ours, you know, the White House was part of this press conference, issued a, quote, final warning to the Iran-backed militia group to cease the attacks or to face potential military action. I would take that more seriously if I hadn't seen how many times Democratic administrations in the last 20 years has drawn red lines and then not honored them, you know. Barack Obama had a red line with Syria, and then the guy killed a bunch of his own people, and I don't know, they didn't even move the red line. They just pretended it didn't exist. So you can issue a final warning all you want. The head of the U.S. Navy operations in the Middle East, this Vice Admiral Cooper, said it was the first time that the Houthis had used an unmanned surface vessel, or USV they're called, since they harassed a bunch of commercial ships in the Red Sea right after the uh, beginning of the Israel-Hamas war. Um, but they used them all the time in the past. How quickly we forget. Uh, a missile expert and a research fellow at the International Institute for Strategic Studies said that these are a key part of the Houthi maritime arsenal, and they used them during battles against the Saudi coalition. Those were the forces that intervened in the war in Yemen and that they have been using them regularly as suicide drone boats that explode upon impact. 
So most of the Houthis' USVs are built in Yemen. But where do you think the components that they're built from are coming? You know, computerized guidance systems, for instance. I mean, are we really asking that question? No, it's a rhetorical question. They're coming from Iran, which means this proxy war with Iran is absolutely heating up and now involving more than just us. Since uh, the end of October, the Houthis have launched one-way attack drones and missiles at commercial vessels with, you know, Genesis in many different countries. The U.S. Navy warships have been out there intercepting ballistic missiles that the Pentagon claims were heading towards Israel. We're talking somewhere over 50 missiles and drones that have been shot down. I think the number was 61 yesterday that have been shot down by U.S. warships. And so our defense secretary, whose name half of America doesn't even know, Lloyd Austin, said just last month that he's going to have this Operation Prosperity Guardian with the United States and other countries sending more ships to the Southern Red Sea so that they would protect the commercial vessels that are passing through the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, which is a critical, critical strait for these commercial ships. You know, I have a nephew right now who's a merchant seaman, and these are the ships that he travels on. So we're tracking, my family is tracking what's going on with these Houthi-launched missiles and drones. And that's why this final warning yesterday, well, that's good news that they're paying attention. The bad news is, is anybody scared of them? Operation Prosperity Guardian. It's only defensive in nature. That's what we were told. And it will be separate from any military action that the United States might take if the attacks continue. So who's even providing most of the warships that are out there now? Well, we know we are. We know the United Kingdom is. We know France is. And this morning I found out that Greece and Denmark are also now signing on to be providing vessels to protect the commercial ships. Why? Why are they all doing this? Because this is integral to a global economy, which is what they all talk about all the time. If you don't have commerce that's able to transport goods through the major arteries that are used, we're talking goods that travel to and from us, Australia, Belgium, Canada, Bahrain, Germany, Italy, Japan, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Singapore. I mean, I can go on. I'm just looking at a listing of the commercial vessels that we're protecting now. All those countries have to get involved. If they don't end these attacks against the vessels and crews, and mind you, they have some of these crews are being held hostage. So there's lives at stake, and the Houthis are going to have to answer if they threaten lives of 
citizens of other countries. Not to mention, as I said to you before, the global economy is on the hook. You don't have free-flowing commerce in the critical waterways in that part of the world, in that region. Well then, okay. They keep saying, oh, well, we're only attacking anything that has to do with Israel. Well, that's just not true. The, the links to the ships targeted in these rebel assaults is not Israeli. They've targeted commercial shipping vessels um, that were linking markets in Asia and in Europe. And they're not going to be able to sell that line of goods to anybody any longer. So, of course, we've shot down, uh, I don't know, 61, I think was the final figure I heard today, of these Houthi ballistic missiles and one-way explosive drones. Uh, our president, or at least whoever is pulling the strings in his administration, said, well, you know, we're trying to keep the war in Israel, between Israel and Hamas, from escalating into a broader regional conflict, but uh, that's not working. You know, the United States doesn't have to seek conflict with any nation or actor in the Middle East. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't have to want to see war between Israel and Hamas widen, but it will, whether they are participating or not. So they, you can't shrink from defending us, our interests, defending our partners, or the flow of international commerce. So all of the things, these final warnings, are going to fall on deaf ears if they're not backed up by action. The United Nations uh, Deputy Ambassador, this Christopher Lugai, said that without Iranian support, the Houthis would struggle to even be able to track, never mind strike, commercial vessels that are navigating the shipping lanes through the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. So, last week, the U.S. struck Iranian-backed militia groups, including uh, Kataib Hezbollah. Now, under the auspices, they attacked three U.S. service members, or the, they attacked U.S. service members and injured three in a drone attack in northern I Iran, which, by the way, the media didn't want to tell you about. Last week, he ordered airstrikes against these groups and the mainstream media, the Associated Press, the Reuters, the Times, the, not a word. But trust me, if Melania Trump doesn't show up at a dinner at Mar-a-Lago, there will be numerous reporters covering the story. It's just the way they operate. No big deal that three service members were injured in a drone attack in northern Iraq, apparently. The media doesn't really want to cover that. All right, let me take a break. You stay right where we are, where you are. There's lots more. I'm back in Florida. I'm trying to get my, well, it's not even sea legs, but, you know, these time changes, they get harder and harder the older I get. But uh, it feels like 1230 to me, and I know it's 330. So help me out here, folks. Just cut me a little slack. I'll be right back. 
Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So obviously, you know, one of the big stories yesterday was there was a bomb attack at a memorial for one of these disgusting terrorists, Soleimani. They were having some kind of memorial for him. And the Islamic State militants, ISIS, say they're the ones who did it. So I'm really trying to piece this together. You almost have to work backwards because it was actually a pair of bombings and it killed a lot of people, dozens of people. It was the largest attack in Iran since 1979, which I thought was pretty stunning. And anybody who was blaming Israel now looks pretty darn stupid because the blast took place maybe because of the war in Gaza between Israel and Hamas, but the tension is now other Iranian-backed militant groups like the ones in Lebanon, Hezbollah, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen, they all want in on this. And so when you had the airstrike that killed the militia leader on Thursday in uh, Baghdad, people said, oh, the U.S. is going to get drawn into a direct confrontation. Uh, Oh, American forces are under attack. Well, they've been under attack since early October, since October 8th. Um, But now, interesting, you see the ISIS jumping in. ISIS... Is, and they're not just like fooling around. They said two of their operatives had detonated explosive belts at the public ceremony in the southeastern town of Karman, where crowds were commemorating the death of Qassam Soleimani. He, of course, was the commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the Quds Force. Those are the elite, the special guys who was killed back in January of 2020 by U.S. airstrikes. Well, why? Is because the Islamic State, ISIS, is a hardline Sunni group, and they consider the Shiite Muslims, which make up the majority of Iran's population, to be apostates. That's when you really have to take a step back. When you think that there's such simplistic answers to what's going on in the Middle East. That, you know, oh, the evil Jews, oh, the evil uh, Hamas, or the evil Palestinians. No, there are so many layers and so much complication. And, you know, fortunately, for the last 33 years, I have studied this quite, and even before that, quite intensely. And I understand the difference between Shiite and Sunni. I understand that more Muslims on any given day will be killed by other Muslims than will be killed by Gentiles or Jews. 
That's simply the truth. And, and some of these, particularly some of these Iranian mullahs and some of the leaders of these hardline Sunni groups will kill everybody. They, they are interested in a, a really, a, I guess the right word is an apocalyptic, a, a, a final solution for anyone who doesn't believe what they believe, their ideology. They have affiliates. This, this group, the ISIS group, has affiliates in Asia. They have uh, affiliates in Africa. They did pretty much get pushed out of Iraq and Syria. But they did carry out attacks on, in Tehran back in uh, 2017 when they targeted uh, the parliament building. And I think they even went after the the uh, burial place of the Ayatollah Khomeini, the moron who founded the Islamic Republic. So today, Erna, which is Iran's state news agency, who had previously said that the explosions were caused by a pair of remote-controlled explosive devices, um, and of course that would have led everybody to think it was Israel or the U.S., you know, the great Satan or the little Satan, but the director of the Iran program at Washington's Middle East Institute cautioned that the government's narrative is shifting and could continue to shift based on what information it uncovers about the attack and its political calculations, particularly ahead of, they have elections scheduled in March, nationwide elections. Not that I trust the electoral process in Iran, but there were a lot of things that went wrong. And it's going to be interesting to see how it's reported within the country because the attackers penetrated security at an event where there were lots of high powerful guys, say senior security officials. So they got to try and make this look as though, you know, they, they had their act together. You know, when the dust settles, they don't want to have any egg on their face. Soleimani's successor, this guy Kani, he prayed at the blast site and all the people around him, I watched it on online, were calling for revenge against the U.S., revenge against Israel, the big Satan, the little Satan, and they're convinced that uh, they backed the attacks, even though they have no proof, and now they have an admission from ISIS that uh, they were responsible. L Lebanon's Hezbollah, They've been firing rockets in the last couple of weeks. Israel's launching airstrikes in Lebanon and in Syria. And, of course, their militants in, in Lebanon and Syria are firing towards Israel. And Iran keeps uh, rattling its saber and saying, oh, we're going to get revenge. We, we need to, to get revenge after an airstrike that killed, uh, I, I forgot the other senior military official in Syria la last month. And look, I, I'm pretty sure that whether Israel did it or not, it should have. <laughs> if it didn't do it, it should have done it. And it ought to thank whoever did do it. But the analysts are now saying that this was the bloodiest attack in Iran since the Islamic Revolution in 1979. The death toll is now down to 84. Originally, they had said 95 people. And they'll catch them. 
They'll find out who did this unless they were, you know, now just shards of human beings that blew themselves up. You know, how do you, how do you combat somebody who's willing to strap a bomb to their body and walk into an event and look like they belong there? It's kind of tough. You know, it's one thing when they walk into a pizza parlor in Tel Aviv, maybe you have a 20% chance of spotting somebody that looks a little out of, out of usual. Um, but at this event where people were coming to pay tribute to some martyr who was a king terrorist himself, would you really be able to spot a terrorist? Apparently not. People who are familiar with what Israel is doing say the country immediately called everybody, America, Great Britain, uh, and and Iran, and said they were not involved with the explosions. The style of the bombing doesn't fit the pattern of any Israeli attacks that I've ever seen. They target precisely. You know, they target infrastructure. They target individuals um, that are connected to Iran's security forces. They don't just blow up funerals. That's much more ISIS style. Uh, plus a lot of civilian casualties. That doesn't match the pattern of Israel who targets their killings to, to minimize civilian loss of life. Although you'd never believe that listening to Ilhan Omar or Rashida Chalid. Anyway, don't forget coming up after me is Eric Erickson followed by Joe Paggs, followed by... Um, Lars Larson, and then the morning will begin with our morning team to wrap up this week, this, uh, and well, this first New Year's, first week of the new year with Jen and Bill. They'll be back, and then at nine o'clock, Brian Kilmeade, noon, Dan Bongino, and I'll be back at three o'clock tomorrow. But I still have one segment left today, so stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Well, so there's apparently an island that I knew nothing about. I don't really travel in those circles. But it's here in Florida, and it's like, uh, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, it's where everybody is moving that has that kind of money. They have uh, Ivanka Trump lives there. She bought a house for $24 million and renovated it. Man, if I buy something for $24 million, the last thing I want to do is have to renovate it. It should be done. Next door is the mansion of superstar DJ David Guetta. No idea who that is. And then there's homes owned by Tom Brady, Carl Icahn, Eddie Lampert, and Mr. Numero Uno. It's called Indian Creek Village, a town for the ultra-rich on an island off the coast of Miami. And the biggest name there is the second richest person in the world, Jeff Bezos. And he has put a house there himself. That means the island's five wealthiest property owners alone control fortunes totaling uh, almost $200 billion. It's, <laughs> this is such a, it's such a country of extremes, right? Because we have all these billionaires and then we have all these people who are homeless, living on the street in big, beautiful cities like San Francisco, where I just came from. 
There's actually a store inside the Harvey Milken Terminal that I was in last night in San Francisco International Airport. And the store is called the name I had given San Francisco years ago when I first started going there, San Franfrico, uh, I called it. And then somebody called into the show one day, it might have been Fane, somebody called it San Francisco. And now there's a store in San Francisco's terminal called San Francisco. And you can go in and buy like, you know, a t-shirt or a, a backpack with the, that, that being the logo, San Francisco. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'd rather live in the state that has the billionaire island than the state that has an entire terminal to, devoted to Harvey Milken and a store called San Francisco. Just saying, maybe it's me, you know. You got these packs of dogs as I left California. That was the big news story in L.A. I, I didn't see any when I was down in L.A., but uh, apparently... If you go down the back roads of Riverside County, telephone poles disappear, street signs and lights are nowhere to be seen. You got all these ramshackle looking houses and fences and just really just a mess of an area. And if you're really quiet, you can hear the wind roll across the valley. But if you make a sound, one, two, three or more barking, growling dogs start running towards you. Dogs that Riverside County Animal Control Officers say are no joke. These packs of free-roaming hounds, three Labrador mixes, two Queensland Blue Heelers, and a, a Husky, recently slaughtered a herd of goats and two sheep. And I saw the pictures on Facebook, gut-churning photographs and descriptions. They had a woman that was killed by a pack of canines in broad daylight a couple of years ago. Mm. The ones that wander in packs, chasing and killing livestock. This is America in 2024. Kind of hard to believe. In the fifth largest economy in the world, California. But that's true. I thank you for your time this time until next time. It's good to be home. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then, as I always say, may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. Eric Erickson up next. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.